It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for ev- everyone who considers themselves pro vaccine. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Chomolo, the other Dr. Nate. I'm an adjunct assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Yeah, and what? There's another Dr. Nathan? What's going on? Uh, Everyone's probably noticing that you are not Dr. Nathan Boonstra. Yes, yes. And uh, most of the time, the kids call me Dr. Nate. Uh, It's been a real struggle because my mom and dad gave me this beautiful name, Nathan, but everyone calls me Nate, so I just roll with it. In this context, it works because now we can differentiate. That's right. There's Nate and there's Nathan. Mm. Um, You are filling in for the um, other doctor, Nathan, because he is on a vacation with his lovely wife. And uh, even though it's National Infant Immunization Week, he decided that his family was somehow more important than the podcast. Priorities, Dr. Nathan, priorities. terrible. So we're going to have a little mini podcast today, only, you know, half the length with no extra people on because my co-host is also sort of an interviewee, Mm. and we're going to be talking about uh, National Infant Immunization Week. So for those of you who don't know, National Infant Immunization Week is the week where we talk about immunizing babies. Mm -hmm. It's special this year because it's the 25th anniversary, which means that the first National Infant Immunization Week was in 1994, if I'm doing my math right. Sounds right. So my first question for you is, where were you in 1994? <laughs> um, I, where was I in 1994? I actually just moved back to Minnesota. Um, I, I was you know, born here and then uh, grew up for a little bit in Joliet, Illinois, and then uh, family moved back here in 1994 because I was... 10 years old. So, All right. Yeah. I wasn't 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I was actually a sophomore in college. So I was in St. Joseph, Minnesota, attending college um, and pretty convinced that I was going to be spending the rest of my life looking at, studying, talking about British literature. Oh. So, um, you know, measles is kind of like a throwback to British literature. A little bit. I thought I was going to be a fighter pilot when I was like 10, 11 <laughs> years old. So. I guess it's a different type of fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that works. Uh, so 1994 was different for everyone mm-hmm. when it came to vaccines as well. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't even think at all about vaccines. and I wasn't even thinking at all about vaccines in 1994. I don't know even if I was totally aware of vaccines being a thing. I knew that I got shots mm-hmm. um, vaguely in the back of my memory. I mm-hmm. knew that that happened. Uh, but I, I don't think I was thinking a lot about vaccines. And I don't know that the general population was thinking a lot about vaccines. That kind of leads us to why National Infant Immunization Week started. I wasn't there, and um, you were not. I'm guessing they didn't call you up and say, hey, Nate. It wasn't in the encyclopedias I was reading at the time, nor, <laughs> nor the comic books. No, so. it wasn't. But I do know that in 1989, 1990, and 1991, the United States saw a very large measles outbreak. Mm-hmm. And I also know, because I just looked this up yesterday, that about 
um, remembering 1994 pretty well, I know that, or 1991 as well, I know that there wasn't a lot different about hygiene back then than there is now. We were, we were pretty clean. We had flushing toilets, running water. Um, I know my dorm had a washing machine and uh, showers. We took showers, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it certainly wasn't uh, a change in hygiene that made uh, measles make resurgences. Um, but there was, there was a measles problem. So do you know, I know you probably weren't reading about this, but do you know why measles became a problem in the late 80s, early 90s? I, I do not know why it became a problem. Yeah, no. So, I, you know, I, I just have secondhand information from people who talk about it. I know that we have local to us here in Minnesota, Patsy Stinchfield at Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. and um, Dr. Deborah Wexler, who's with the Immuniz- Immunization Action Coalition. And they were concerned about um, the measles outbreak. We had a lot of kids with measles in Minnesota. I, I mean, I think everywhere had a lot of kids with measles then. I, mm. I will tell you, I was completely unaware that this was happening. I had no idea anyone had measles. I don't think I knew what measles was. Um, I know I got my second MMR before heading off to college. I don't think I knew what that was. So this is all from other people telling me. But but Patsy and Deborah have told me stories about sort of meeting parents face-to-face and saying, are your kids vaccinated? No, why not? Oh, you didn't know they needed to be vaccinated? That's a thing. We should mm-hmm. do that. And so National Infant Immunization Week sort of began around the time when, pe- when there was a, a public health push to educate people that they needed to vaccinate their kids because people didn't know. So you are here, we're actually here in your lovely clinic mm-hmm. in this um, wonderful room with boxes. And tables. Tables. And sorted equipment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that you have a good sense whether or not your patients know about vaccines. So do they know about vaccines? Uh, almost 100%, you know, are coming in. In fact, a lot of the times when I'm doing my uh, meet and greet visits, which we have with expectant mothers and fathers um, before they even uh, have their baby, that's one of the conversations we have is, um, you know, what is your questions, concerns about vaccines? Um, this is, you know, my philosophy. It's never something that is a deal breaker for our practice, um, but it's something we feel strongly about. And I'm going to talk to you about it every time you come in if you're not up to date on it. And if that's something that you don't want to hear, then we might not be the best match for you. And so, um, uh, but yeah, even patients that are coming in new who haven't gone through that process, um, they know about their, the parents know about vaccines. And usually it's by age. They don't know the specific one. So I don't know if right. they're really tracking, you know, apart from these separate outbreaks where I'd say in the last couple of years in Minnesota with the measles outbreak, I've had parents ask me specifically, so when do they get their measles mm-hmm. shots? You know, are they getting their measles shots this time? But apart from that, they kind of know that there's, you know, the shots at the two, four, and six month, and then there's some one-year shots and some uh, shots after that. Um, and so that's kind of the greater context. Right. And they do know that they need to immunize their children a lot mm-hmm. in the first couple of years of life. 
Yeah, and I think it's you know understood how vulnerable our little babies are, and uh, and you know one of the reasons that um, uh, there is a National Infant um, Immunization Week is um, you know because some of these diseases, the peak age for infections for things like uh, Hib and rotavirus are right in those first couple mm-hmm. years, peak age for pneumococcal disease right in those first couple years, and so um, getting them the protection in a timely fashion uh, is really important. Right. Absolutely. And um, and that was the push, too, for the first NIIWs was, you know, bring your kids in to get them vaccinated. They really do need to go in and get vaccinated. Do you have any issues with parents who, you know, maybe are philosophically on board with vaccines, but they don't bring their kids in in a timely fashion because of access issues or calendar constraints or they're working or they have lots of kids and the youngest one is just, you know, hopefully they make it and, you know, they might not even know their names, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know about the, the names part, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, certainly uh, when you're uh, serving a uh, communities that have been historically under-resourced, um, under-invested in, uh, then you do run into a lot of these issues with, um, you know, maybe they are showing up, but they show up to appointments like, you know, 20, 30 minutes late, and then um, you have to see other patients before you can work them in, and then they don't have the time, and so they, they leave. Um, certainly the kind of missing appointments and kind of um, a lot of uh, families in these communities can sometimes be transient, right? So they're mm-hmm. living in our by our clinic for the first six months maybe of that child's life and then they have to move because they have more support than another part of the city and so they lose connection with us and they don't really um, know or or have the uh, ability to establish care elsewhere and then they come back a year later and and we're kind of catching them up and so that's certainly part of it too. I'd say by far the more common one is um, just parents who are uh, who come to the visits, but every time it's kind of a conversation about which shot to give. And um, I'd say out of those, a handful um, do uh, end up like settling on some type of alternative schedule. And mm-hmm. as much as we kind of try to uh, you know, talk about the risks that are inherent with that, um, it, it's something that some parents just end up doing. Right. So that's, I mean, that's good to hear. I mean, we are in, you know, the middle of a city right here. Mm -hmm. And so access issues are probably lesser than they would be in, say, a remote village in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, But they still exist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think that what you have to say is really interesting because it really is in line with the focus now of National Infant Immunization Week. You know, uh, we have more vaccines that we give kids than we did 25 years ago. Um, We have more philosophical hesitancy to vaccines than we did 25 years ago. But we don't have as much unawareness that you need to bring your baby into the doctor every two Mm -hmm. months and get vaccinated. And so this NIIW, what are some of the messages you really hope parents are hearing, parents particularly of young babies, are hearing to help them feel 
empowered and excited and <laughs> on board vaccinated. As a, as a parent of a two-year-old mm-hmm. um, uh, and a pediatrician who is really uh, in love with vaccines, uh, I will say, I don't know if any parents are ever going to be excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're but, not my kid's pediatrician, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> about, about uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they, you know, getting a shot is, is uh, you know, recommended. But I, I guess what I would say is, um, you know, we are really fortunate to have access to the healthcare we get. And that uh, in these first couple years, it's so important to really give our kids this protection. Uh, we know that uh, some of these infections... Uh, like measles in particular, can have long-term effects. Even if it's just a mild illness, it can actually impact your immune system mm-hmm. long-term. Um, and and certainly um, we know that uh, if you're having lots of issues with uh, pneumonias or even ear infections, that can impact things like your speech development. And so there are a lot of more broad impacts of uh, the protection that these vaccines give us, particularly in these first couple of years. Right. That's a, that's a really good point. So what are some of the topics that you hear from parents when they come in and they're not sure about vaccinating? Yeah, so I'd say um, the first one is, uh, you know, there's so many more now than mm-hmm. there used to be. Um, um, or, you know, can uh, babies really handle all of these different shots at once? And so um, kind of talking about why there's so many more, uh, uh, usually is pretty effective in that, you know, I I talk about how uh, they used to uh, see diseases uh, when pediatricians would see diseases like meningitis Mm -hmm. and severe pneumonias all the time. In fact, I, you know, read books um, about interns in the 80s who were doing uh, these uh, taps of spinal fluid, you know, numerous times a shift for every two or three days for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Hib and the pneumococcal vaccines came across and that's something that I probably, I could probably count on two hands how many of those I did. Um, and most of them were in like neonates and really little babies. Right. Um, and, and so kind of talking about the reason is because we've had more uh, uh, shots that actually help protect against these serious illnesses. These aren't you know benign things that we're treating against. And then um, try the the one about you know can their bodies handle it you know that's a little harder one because it is a little more I think abstract for people who don't have a scientific mm-hmm. grounding but kind of talking about how our bodies are really equipped to deal with all sorts of challenges right uh, that you know when our child's children play in a, a sandbox they're being exposed to thousands of those antigens that you know we um, are. Uh, injecting in a much more controlled uh, manner uh, in that it helps our body's defenses so that when they see it in real life, um, they're able to handle it. But Mm -hmm. I think those would be kind of the the two initial ones. And then I do have some parents who talk more about the um, kind of conspiracies of big pharma. Mm -hmm. They talk about, I've even had um, some families talk about how there's been um, there's the kind of the false notion that black boys and girls in particular were experimented on um, by the CDC. And so um, those are like certainly harder ones to um, kind of unpack. And it's usually um, kind of hearing them first, kind of saying that, you know, uh, I'm sorry you hear that there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, I'm going to keep talking to you about it. I understand you might not change your mind this time. And mm-hmm. um, I've had a couple long term successes with that oh, and, good. and then uh, and then you know, other other times it's just an ongoing conversation 
That's really exciting to hear that you've had successes with people who are maybe a little bit more vulnerable to believing conspiracy conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about vaccines because that's really one of the hardest groups to penetrate. I've like from outside the exam room that I've had to the point where it's like when someone says to me, oh, you're a pharma shill and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the CDC is bought and paid for. I'm like, well, I'm just going to take a step back. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say to you now. That's really tough. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'd say I wrote a letter to the editor for um, the Star Tribune last year about the flu vaccine and kind mm-hmm. of how they were covering it. And I remember my wife showed me one of the comments of them like, oh, I'm sure this pediatrician and his million dollar salary <laughs> she's like i wish you had a million dollar salary that's pretty funny yeah so are you paid off by pharmaceutical um companies? absolutely not <laughs> no 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 paid off there no you don't have like a big yacht that you sail on lake minnetonka <laughs> no no my my student loans would not uh, allow that to be feasible yeah seriously <laughs> okay um so one of the things that's going on with National Infant Immunization Week is they're trying to rally everyone around the hashtag IVAX to protect. Mm-hmm. That's I V A X, and then the number two, like it's a mm-hmm. Prince song, and then protect. Yes, it should be a Prince song. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week, what sorts of things will you be tweeting and Facebooking, and you know, just wearing a hashtag around your neck and saying out loud, <laughs> why do you vax to protect? Yeah, I, I actually um, even submitted a video to the AAP. Oh, so So there's a little clip in as part of their video that they use for that AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because my son was born uh, premature, so he was born two months early. Mm-hmm. Um, and he luckily uh, had a pretty um, uneventful course, didn't have a lot of issues with his lungs. Um, but uh, he came into the world uh, about two, three months before the measles outbreak oh, uh, here in Minnesota. And so uh, we were pretty much housebound for the first 18 months of his life. Like, we just didn't want to risk it, right? Because um, even after getting that, you know, f- first MMR, um, you know, there's still some some hesitancy there. Um, and so and so really, you know, like the biggest message is, you know, vaccine to protect those who can't protect themselves, right? So right. we're talking about those uh, babies who are too young to get the vaccine, or the measles vaccine in particular, um, or those under two months who are too young to get any vaccines. Uh, we're talking about kids who are, uh, have like B cancer, and the last thing they or their parents want is to succumb to some vaccine preventable disease. Mm-hmm. Um, are those people uh, kids who are on other types of treatment that impact their immune system? And so, vaccine to protect you know um, others, uh, vaccine to protect you know my my kids uh, in my community. Um, like I kind of talked about a little before, vaccine uh, to protect and give kids the best chance at reading their full potential because they don't have any issues with their health that lead to speech delays or other long term issues. Well, those are good reasons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a couple. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking at it from the other end. I, obviously, I want to vaccinate to protect my kids, but, you know, I've got one kiddo who's about to turn 16. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited that he will be of age to receive the meningitis B vaccine. Mm, sure. Um, I did live through a meningitis, a bacterial meningitis outbreak when I was in middle school. Oh, wow. And number of kids in our community got meningitis, um, 
and it was very scary. Yeah. Um, so that has been forever one of my fears as a parent is what your neck hurts. Can you yes. touch your chin to yeah. your chest? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny how these things impact you because um, yeah. you just bring up that now. It makes me think of one of my good friends. So we talked about how I moved to Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, 25 some years ago. And one of the kids who first greeted me on my first day at school um, at Ian Prairie Oak Point, um, you know, his uh, his brother, who was about three or four years older than us, um, died in high school, at 17, um, bacterial meningitis. And at the time, like, you know, you don't really realize. I just understand that, like, he was there one day, and the next he's gone. And then, um, but, yeah, looking back, it's just, it's something that I'll never forget, like, how scared as, uh, you know, preteen I felt at that moment and, you know, uh, how sad I felt for my, for my friend. And so, absolutely that's a great reason right there it's it's a scary disease and and being able to get that vaccine for my child i actually asked about it at his 11 year old appointment i Mm. said so do you guys carry the meningitis b vaccine yes but we can't get it yet no you gotta be 16 all right right. (laughs) come back um but you know being able to really protect my kids and you know my kids are healthy but I, i still understand that um you know, a lot of bacteria and viruses, they really don't care how healthy you are. Mm-hmm. They're not really impressed by that. They're not impressed by maybe if you're a good mom or not, or if your children are nice or terrible. They just really want to get and find a host and replicate. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the unpredictability of that is is frightening and the fact that we can have a little less unpredictability around it is exciting for me so that's always been one of my biggest reasons to vaccinate is just to have a little more control over the health of my children you know i know for a lot of uh people who are what i would call anti-vaccine so those people who are dead set against it are really loud about it are trying to recruit more people to be afraid of vaccines um part of their philosophy is that they can do the right things and they can make the bad things not happen. And I wish that were true, but um, in a way it is true. Ironically, it's the opposite of what they're advocating for, that if we give a vaccine, we really can prevent, in most cases, these awful diseases. So that's that's my, that's what I'll be saying out loud while I'm wearing a hashtag around my neck, because that's (laughs) how it works. That's a a great one. And, you know, one of the things I um, also do a lot of is trying to get the ear of le- our legislators, mm. and so um, I'll, I'll be pointing out how how much the measles outbreak costs Minnesota. Right, um, right. there's been some good evidence of that. In fact, uh, in a recent um, Star Tribune piece uh, about uh, kind of calling out the, our legislature here in Minnesota about why they haven't taken measures mm-hmm. to uh, improve uh, protections, um, they said that um, only three and four children are up to date in immunizations, um, but and that they save healthcare costs. Um, and so uh, with every $1 spent, yields an estimated 10 to $14 in saved wow. expenditure. And so, you know, that's a, a very strong public health argument right there. Mm-hmm. I, I actually was uh, just listening to uh, a podcast on the way over the um, – the New York Times Daily. Oh, yeah. Um, today's episode was about the measles oh. outbreak and uh, in New York uh, City in particular. And it really, uh, they brought up something that I think is particularly germane to um, some of the things that have come up here in Minnesota. So they were talking about, talking to a mom of uh, from this Hasidic Jewish community, mm-hmm. the uh, Orthodox Jewish community that's being really impacted by the outbreak in New York City. And she remarked how um, uh, she's now heard from her kids that other kids on the school bus don't want to sit next to them. 
um, how a friend of hers who's um, not part of the Hasidic Jewish community um, actually was ashamed to admit that like when she sees other uh, people with the braids and the hats and um, uh, she actually takes her little infant and wants to cross the street mm-hmm. right and and so I think the the damage that's been doing been done um, to our communities by some of this uh, anti-vaccine propaganda targeting specific communities mm-hmm. here in Minnesota it's been the Somalian community mm-hmm. um, is really been more than just uh, the damage from children being exposed to these diseases, but really uh, damage to the identity of these cultures. And um, I know I have lots of Somalian families in my practice, and I know that they love their kids mm-hmm. a whole lot. Um, and uh, that, you know, the idea that, uh, and that many of them are super intelligent, and the idea that they're um, this drain on us because they're not getting shots is one that is uh, so hard to kind of find the way to kind of really push back against. Um, but I wanted to bring it up here because I think, you know, you guys talk a lot about the anti-vaccine movement as an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it it's sometimes um, lost that uh, when they put that identity on other groups that all have other issues, so uh, minorities and uh, whether they be religious minorities or uh, racial ethnic minorities, um, you know, they don't have the benefits of the white moms and dads who can kind of escape back into the crowd um, when they make these decisions and and kind of uh, have these impacts uh, on our health as a society. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I was actually just thinking this week after the the editorial that you were talking about Mm -hmm. that came out in the Star Tribune about why sometimes there isn't action. You know, that that, uh, outbreak in New York is Mm -hmm. one of the longest lasting outbreaks we've had in decades. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it just, they can't get it stopped, which Mm -hmm. is um, unusual. Usually, you know, within a couple of months, an outbreak is done because we have actually pretty wonderful public health and doctors all across this country, very lucky. But I I was also thinking about, um, you know, the Somali community here, and the, the Hasidic community in New York. And, you know, in California, about 10 years ago, there was um, a pertussis outbreak in the Hispanic and Latino community. And I think sometimes what happens is when it is in a racial or religious minority community, people don't feel compelled to act because it feels like it's happening to someone else. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be frank, most of the people in power are are white men mm-hmm. and maybe not connected to minority communities the way they need to be, uh, makes it hard to convince them that it's something to act on. When measles is seen as an orthodox problem or a Somali problem or pertussis is seen as a Hispanic problem, um, it misses the point that it's not a problem of those communities. It's an unvaccinated person problem. Yes. It's it's a vaccine refusal problem. It mm. doesn't have anything to do with what the person looks like or what they believe. Again, measles doesn't care about those things. Nope. <laughs> it nope. can't Absolutely tell. Yeah. Measles cannot tell what you believe, who, how you worship, what you look like, where you came from. Um, so it's it's hard to sort of penetrate that and get people to understand, especially in Minnesota. We have, I think, like 300 schools across the state in every corner of the state that are vulnerable to some sort of measles outbreak because their immunization rates are so low. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I, I agree that that's, that's a really 
a hard issue. We don't want uh, people to be judged because of what they look like, and others assume that they're not vaccinated and they're bad for that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we don't want people to become targets of anti-vaccine misinformation, which yes. is what happened in you know both the Somali and the Orthodox community. Mm-hmm. Um, the wonderful thing that everyone needs to know about both of those communities is that there are really smart, great people, a lot of people who work in healthcare, who um, are working with members of their own communities to encourage people to vaccinate. So I Absolutely. really, I really hope. And and I, I have to say, I struggle with this too as someone who does social media. The number of times I have to say. It's not refugees. Refugees are immunized. Mm-hmm. You know, these people who are <laughs> getting measles are American citizens. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they believe or what they look like. It's a vaccine issue. Um, it's yeah. super hard, and we have to get real honest and, and talk about that. Yeah. I hope that I was a, a acceptable replacement, yeah, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. uh I, I always like to do dad jokes, so I guess I should share a dad joke. Yeah, you should definitely should share a dad joke. Um, why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? I know this one. <laughs> why can't you hear a pterodactyl go to the bathroom? Because the pee is silent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a favorite. That's a good one. Uh, I, that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. All right, so everybody out there listening, thank you for joining us. Thank you for um, filling in. Uh, Nate's big shoes. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was super and, uh, fun. And travel safe, uh, the Boonstras. Yeah, abs- I, you know, yeah, I'm super jealous about where they are, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to say in public. That's <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> everyone back home, have a great NIIW. Don't forget to use the hashtag IVAX to protect. That's with a number two, like it's a Prince song. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you want to write and record a Prince song called IVAX to protect, <laughs> I will totally um, make a podcast episode about that and play it on our podcast. Thank and, you. Um, I guess I'm just going to say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Chomolo, a pediatrician uh, here in Minneapolis and the Adjunct Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Minnesota. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>